top corner, left-hand corner, and then a counter will start with it. There we go. All right. So, uh, Corey, it's nice nice to meet you. This is the second time that, that you've called and that I think that you're beginning to hear uh, what we're saying. And so one of the things that you brought up just now was the issue of what is reality or uh, uh, do we live in reality or is this thing that we call reality the Maya? Right. And what is all of that has to do with the fact that the people who are making those kind of statements are not doing a proper discrimination to actually see how the mind works. And in that regard, we can start with the first noble truth, because uh, many people have it that life is suffering. Or another one, in fact, in the 1980s, there was a famous bumper sticker that said that life is life sucks or life is shit. And then you die. Yeah. Right. Well, the teaching of the Buddha is no, that's not correct. That in fact, the uh, the understanding from libido, or that there is a life force, and this life force that we all experience that also has to do deeply with the self-preservation instinct, is real, but it's not the dukkha. It's not the source of the dukkha that the source of the dukkha is elsewhere, that in fact being alive is something that we all, if we would reflect upon it, relish. Everybody wants to stay alive, no matter how much we hurt, even those who are on the point of suicide, they're, they're just, the suffering becomes even greater than their life force, but that force or that desire to stay alive is exactly why we become afraid, because we're afraid to lose something. Okay, so going to that point about the first noble truth is, is that it's not life itself that is dukkha. Not only that, but that the dukkha that we experience that we think is real, that's also delusional. That the cause of suffering is not life itself. The cause of suffering is our greed, our ill will, and our delusions about that it's the greed and the ill will that causes the suffering. So we, we suffer ignorantly because we want things ignorantly. And when we want things wisely, we tend to either get what we want right then and there because we were really wise, or we stop wanting it because we know we can't have it right now, that I'll want it later when it's available, but right now I don't want it. But that's staying wise about it. Most people, when they want things, they just want it, whether they get it or not. They're not making any discernment at all about what the na nature of suffering is. But the Buddha very clearly states in many places that suffering is wanting things that we don't have or putting up with things that we don't want to put up with. I know the first part about but but the second part kind of hit me a little bit like kind of there's a lot of that where I'm where you kind of like in the back of your mind you're like oh it's probably smart for me to you know, keep reading this book this is a perfect example from earlier today where I was you know clinging to something that I liked doing in the beginning but eventually my back started hurting and I kept reading because I was like this is good information and it's really helpful and insightful so so you immediately became a crowd inside the part of you that wants to read the book and the part of you that wants to take care of your back 
Yeah. And there was also a part of you in there that knew that, but wasn't doing anything about it. So now you have a crowd of three. Yeah. You should read the you should read the book. My back hurts, and you guys fight it out. Yeah. So that's quite a crowd you've got in there. Right. Can you begin yeah. to see that crowd? Because that's the whole point is that we ignorantly want things and often the things that we want are in conflict with something else we want. And so we tear ourselves apart over being pulled first this way and then that way each time with a new thought. And the thought is, I want to read the book. The next thought is, my back hurts. The next thought is, I want to read the book. The next thought is, my back hurts. And off we go into confusion and doubt and worry and restlessness and whatnot like that because we can't see this progress of going back and forth and back and forth. Another example is you ought to meditate. No, I don't want to meditate. Well, you do ought to meditate. No, I want to watch the video. No, you should meditate. And you hear that dialogue back and forth within. So that dialogue is, in fact, the dialogue between two things that we want, or you, you should improve, or you should do better, or you should want this, or you should be higher class, or all of these rules that we set for ourselves. And then we have all of the desires that we have that go against the rules that we've set for ourselves. So we set rules that we ourselves cannot match up to. And right. then we feel like failures because we can't match up to our own set of rules. To where, in fact, when we set up the rule, we really didn't intend to meet it anyway. Right. But we got it because we were told it. We learned these rules from somebody else. And so right. we go around ordering ourselves around. So this is actually the second noble truth is the cause of suffering is, is that we order ourselves around ignorantly and then we feel bad because of that order. Um, so do you, have you ever seen, have you ever been in the military and been through boot camp? I did for a little bit and then I realized that I had like too much anxiety issues and they kind of let me go. So. Right. Okay. So this is exactly what happens then. What do you feel like when the DI is right in front of you, dressing you down, telling you what a rat, what a wimp, what a this or that, the other thing that you are, that you're no good, you don't fit in here. How do you feel when they do that? I feel full of adrenaline and not good feelings. In other words, you believe them. Yeah. Right. You let them hit you directly. And it, that you goes know for that everything. he says that the the DI is trained to do that. That he says it to everyone. Some of them right. respond to it differently. They picked you out because they know that they could hit you with that crap. That you weren't yeah. wise enough, smart enough, and tough enough to stand out of the way of it and let it bypass you. So guess what? That's the thing that is now is that you've now got your own and have for quite a while your own DI inside that is dressing you down on a regular basis. And that's where all that anxiety is continuing to come from is your own DI going around telling you what to do and telling you how bad you are and that you're no good, et cetera, like that. These are the kind of thoughts that we have. We have our own set of rules inside and most people are ignorant 
to the set of rules that they carry around, and they're also ignorant of not being able to meet the standard that they have. So this is where the investigation begins. And as we continue going deeper into the second noble truth, we begin to understand that the mind works in a certain kind of way such that there is a sensory input from our senses of the real world. But that sensory input of the real world alone is not enough for understanding. It's just raw data. We need to process that data. But the way that we process it and the programming that we process that data with is based upon the past. So when I say I see that tree, I have to have trees stored in my mind somehow so that I can process that object against the internal information that I have stored inside my mind to come up with an understanding and naming that thing as a tree. So you have the real tree, and then you have the named tree inside the mind, which is real. Uh, So, I mean, obviously, the um, real is the tricky word there, you know, like the, the, but the, what, if it's in your mind, obviously it's not the same kind of real that we might think about. It's uh, more akin to Well, when they speak of reality, then, are they talking about the reality within one's mind? Are they talking about the reality that came to them through their senses before it was processed? What is The real is the real as it is received, not as it's processed. That one of the ways that you can think of the the teaching of the Buddha is is that we process our data incorrectly using old uh, information through that processing, which has spottiness to it, which then brings up an internal understanding or an internal representation that's colored and is not what was actually real. So one issue that I had recently was when I was able to switch out of the mind conceptualizing and I was able to enter present moment experience where I would experience things, you know, they would still come through the subtle body or like the, the subtle mind or um, consciousness yes. is what I kept. That's of. continuing to happen. There is no way you either have one of two possibilities. And that is, is that when you stop processing, that means that you are in a lost neverland of the present moment that you could just enjoy the show. But if you process it into the point of understanding, now uh, that uh, what you understand is not that which you received. You have to begin to understand that my understanding of things may not be what's in reality, that I process this into an understanding. Okay, right. so so you begin to understand that you don't live in the real world. That's an important point is to recognize that we don't live in a real world, that the real world doesn't contact us. That's not where the feelings come from, that the what where the feelings of the contact comes from is that our internal understanding in the Pali, this is the Salayatana and the Salayatana means the internal senses. So we take the external senses and bring them through processing into uh, a constructed reality that we can call a concept 
or a concept. We have we live in a conceptualized reality, not a real reality. Yeah. Now here's the point about the Dhamma. The further we are in our conceptualized reality from the actual real reality, the more likely there's going to be suffering and dukkha. We're going to get disappointed because what we thought is not what's there for us to get. But the closer our internal reality is to the actual reality, then the more satisfied we are. And so learning to deal with reality as the way that it really is, rather than our expectations, our wants, our desires, our uh, old ways of thinking and all of that kind of stuff, and just come to this present moment fresh, is going to be much less possible dukkha. I noticed that there was some kind of issue or I felt like I didn't really understand things because suddenly the way that I'm used to processing everything is through that filter, uh, through that, you know, like internal past and future concepts. But that's the way that humans do it. That's the only way that it can be done. So even if you like kind of are able to open up the mind, you're still going to use all the past concepts and stuff. I guess the thing that was just so weird ah, is... No, you're not going to be using all the past concepts. You are going to be very mindful to choose the correct concepts. I guess the thing that I... Now, that's the problem that most people have, is they're just willing to use any old thing that comes to mind. They attach to the thoughts rather than being discriminate about the thoughts that when they put their concepts together, when they begin to understand stuff, many people are not actually willing to inspect the uh, the parts that they're putting their new toy together with. They'll just take whatever is there and slap it in. Okay. The job of a wise man is to be careful about how he decides what something is. And so that he wants to make sure that he's using good, valuable, wholesome, real things to to build his understanding rather than whatever happened to him in the past. Most people just take whatever happened, whatever's in their memory, they'll just make sense out of it like that. Yeah. Okay, so here's an example of that. Two people are standing on a street corner and see somebody walking across or walking down the uh, close by to them, and each of these two people see this person, and they both have a complete different reaction to him. Let us say, based upon the way that he's dressed. So the way that he's dressed, or the way this person is dressed, then means something to each one of these people. Let's say one of them is a is a Catholic that's in the uh, seminary. And he's about to ordain as a priest. And the other kid went to uh, grade school in Catholic grade school, and he had to deal with the nuns. So the person that's coming down the street is now in a nun's habit, and one sees them with one point of view, and the other one sees them with a completely different point of view. One of them sees them with attraction and affection, and the other sees it with anger and resentment. Why is that? because of our past. Now, you're going to let that kind of past knowledge, sometimes it's very important. I mean, some kids really hate nuns. And so they're not willing to give a new nun the benefit of the doubt at all. 
They just lump all nuns as bad. Other people will lump all nuns as good, depending upon their past. Others will make a more discerning, uh, depending upon the uh, the situation as to what kind of evaluation that they can make. And if they've been skilled at making evaluations, then the nun's habit itself is disregarded and only the person is there to be evaluated. But most of us, we will take any old thing that comes by, like a nun's habit or whatever clothes somebody is wearing, as almost an instant uh, evaluation of, of that person. We call this first impressions. Right. Okay, so first impressions, we get stuck with those, and we don't even recognize that we made that impression based upon a bunch of crap out of our own mind rather than out of the person who just presented themselves. Those are the standards that we set up, right? We set up rules and standards about dress codes and all kinds of things. Yeah, we do. And so recognizing that we can stop seeing things through that lens and start seeing things as they really are, which means that a lot of stuff we don't even know. We have to continue to take new information in because we're going to disregard all of our old past knowledge. Yes, this is that's the point where I came to and where I had issues and I felt like I lost it or came back into old things because Mm -hmm. when I was in that sense, I just didn't know anything, and I feel like some part of me was like just a little bit confused, and I feel like a little bit of the dullness kind of set in because I just didn't know how to, I guess, continue to take in information while also deciding to not attach those concepts because if you're trying to be always present, it's like there's always new waves rising up, and what we tend to do in the past, I guess, is we have an experience and then we latch onto it, and then 10, mm-hmm. 20, 30 seconds go by, an hour goes by, and we're still stuck on that. So it's like we begin to tell to... ourselves stories, and then the experience winds up being the stories we've told about it rather than the actual memory of the actual experience. Right. The story then... often becomes more important than the event. Yeah, the other thing too that I noticed is that when you're able to process from this present moment experience, the amount of like data and information that is in every sensation of consciousness is like overwhelming. It just seems like there's a lot to it. And there's a it's lot. very your choice, overwhelmed or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I guess it's some type of attachment that I didn't really know how to combat. So I would just kind of be like, I would just get this overwhelming amount of information, maybe about a person or a thing that I wanted to know about, and then I would kind of get stuck into it and ponder it, and I would forget or I would lose the present moment experience, you know? And then, I don't know how long that continued on for, something like a day or two, but I could sense the entire time that somehow attachment or craving, I because I didn't really know how to like not crave i just kind of knew that the old way of doing things seemed to work it seemed to be more simple well part of what happens with western mind is is that we get into time orientation yeah and that the practice that we're uh talking about here anapanasati is to get out of that time orientation to work with only the thought that's happening right now that this thought is the only thought that is of of any interest. 
And yet Westerners always want to have goals and plans uh, and processes and events that prove milestones and that kind of stuff that's all oriented that way. In fact, you could say that one of the primary problems that we're actually speaking about can be seen in the way that the Pali was translated into English by using it as the Eightfold Noble Path. It's not a path. That's a mistake, translation. But because we hear it as a path, we think of a path as a path of a place to go. That we're not where we want to be. We have to follow the path to get where we want to go. That puts it immediately into the time-oriented, that it's off into the future. What we should think of it is, is instead as an Eightfold Noble Method like the method of unlocking the door that's right in front of you. Number one, you put in the key. Number two, you turn the key. Number three, you turn the doorknob. Number four, you push the door open. That's all there is to it. Right. It's like a set of things you balance, and that gets you into the present moment, which is what we're trying to do. Right. Um, and then it's also some more that kind of that other part, I was very good about getting into the present moment and kind of I was able to balance quite a few things, but that sense of craving to the past and the future and like the ease of it, you know, just going, falling back onto old ways. Um, that, that was kind of where I fell back on it. I also wasn't very, I definitely didn't mind falling back. It just seemed like there was a lot coming in at once. And so I kind of was happy to just let it go and kind of go back into my old ways. Um, try to bloom later or blossom later, you know, um, which is kind of characteristic for me. I tend to like that phase of going in and out, you know? Goenka has a statement that he refers to often in the retreats and so in the recordings of the retreats currently, and that is, never mind, start again. Yes, you will get lost in it. Yes, it is pleasant. Yes, it is pleasant, and that's why you got lost in it. But that's what we mean by absorption, is that we're absorbed of, of things because they're they're pleasant. But you can also begin to understand that getting lost in thought can also be dangerous. And when you see that it's dangerous, because one of the things you can do with you when you're lost in thought is talk yourself into feeling bad. Talk yourself into feel, wanting things that you don't have. Talk yourself into uh, future events and whatnot like that. So you can begin to see that there's dangers in letting the mind just roll on. I guess what happens is we think that it's a real thought, that it's coming from me. And so that identification with the thought, like that's kind of the, some thread that's in there. Yes, that goes back to the original statement. So we can say that, yes, there is a reality, but the reality is real and a thought is not. Thoughts are not real, but we attach to them as if they were real, as if it was my thought. People would even say right out loud, well, my opinion is, or this is my thought. And you can see the attachment to it. But if it's happening now, wouldn't it kind of be real? Well, Maybe it not. is real to the person who is attached to and clinging to it. But then not only the thought is real, but the clinging is real. And so is the one who is doing the clinging is real in their mind. Mm, okay. And that's the selfishness right there. 
the selfishness is created through that clinging to, and one of the things we cling to is a thought of this thought is mine. This is my idea. This is my patent. Okay, so one thing that I kind of realized during that time was a sense of identity that goes beyond just the ego or thoughts, and it kind of settled on vitality and awareness. I didn't really, I didn't get any better answer than, so the first deepest level of self that I would kind of came to identify with was a void or imagination that everything else comes out of. And then like above that, or what I would normally experience in waking life, is a sense of aliveness and vitality or living life and also awareness. So I'm alive and I know I'm alive. Those are the two, what I would say like, that was like the deepest level of identification. And somehow the thoughts well, that come up- Well, you're making actually the same mistake that Descartes made. You know, the famous philosopher, I think, therefore I am. Okay, a more correct statement would be, there is thought, therefore the thought is I am. Or another way of saying it, I think, therefore I think I am. Yeah, it's just really weird how the thought process kind of can create a sense of self. Even when I was in yes. a state of no thoughts, it was really me believing that the thoughts are coming from me or believing that you know, because the thoughts typically sound like they're coming from my voice or they're speaking to me. Um, and I do kind of understand that, like, the thought isn't really. It's like um, manifestation of the universe, like everything else is, you know, and it's not really me any more than anything else is. But because it's happening in the present, it, it feels real for me. What I and you could probably check me on this and see how good my understanding was. I might have got something wrong. Um, I thought that if it's happening now, now is real, but like the past, you know, th three seconds ago, that now it's not real anymore. So like oh, what is gone, people... the future doesn't yeah. exist. We have a whole lot of people trying to predict the future, but they're often wrong. In fact, the biggest computers in the world are trying to forecast weather and they're not very good at it. If right. we can't even forecast the weather, how can we forecast anything else? I guess that's the thing is like, yeah, it, it starts from be, us being present and alive. And then we extrapolate that, you know, because I'm alive, I'm real now. Gosh, I got to prepare and, you know, make sure I don't end up dying tomorrow, you know. So that sense of the ground. Well, of, a better way of looking at it is, is that I don't know when I'm going to die. Can I be ready for it now so that whenever it happens, I'll be ready for it because I've already gotten prepared. Yeah, I'm pretty good with that one. Yeah, well, the, in a way, yes, and in a way, no, uh, because we still attach to thoughts as if they were number one, real and number two, mine. And so one of the things that you can begin to do is to uh, give uh, credit for and the gratification that almost all of your thoughts were not yours that you heard it someplace else. Then in fact, it's good to remember where you heard stuff so that you could begin to track and put things together. 
An example of that is the Dhamma that I teach. I want to know every sutta that I that the stuff comes from. Or did I get this from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa? Or did I get this from Goenka? That I often quote sources for things. So figure out where this stuff came from. Because it doesn't belong to you. You're just carrying it along. It's good to have an idea about in your mind of where this stuff comes from. Rather than thinking that it's mine or my thought or uh, anything like this. I think that, that so would, that, often people that, will talk about Damarato's method. Damarato doesn't have a method. Damarato wants to give the method that he thinks that some people think he owns back to the original owners. Right. Don't I take credit for stuff that doesn't belong to you, and you wind up not taking credit for anything. <laughs> and then you don't have any worries. You've got no job to do because you don't want to take credit. So anyway, back to the go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, how are you guided to live your life when you don't use thoughts or anything like that? Like, I know that there is a sense of consciousness. Well, I didn't say that you didn't think. Mm -hmm. You don't attach to the thought. That's, I guess, a subtle distinction that just must happen automatically by clinging. That's why it's so subtle or hidden. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. What is the main thing that causes clinging? Like, what is that phenomenon? Because Ignorance. like I. Ignorance, not seeing correctly. When you see correctly, then you don't cling so much. And the more clearly you see things as they really are, then the less clinging. So we can say then that the actual reality as it is, not being the same as the reality that we invent or we create about the situation. So you have the real situation. Let's give an example of that. You got 10 people in a meeting plus a camera. Ten people walk out of that meeting with an impression of that meeting, and the impression that each one of them in that meeting came out of that meeting with is different than all the others, and all ten of them are different than the actual camera. The camera is closer to being accurate, and everybody else is closer to being opinionated because right. they're all attaching to their same views. Each one is attaching to his own view that's based upon his own past and his own familiarity of the people and the situation and what's happened in past meetings, etc., like that. And the camera is not subject to any of that crap. But the guy who watches the video is. What's the He's secret going to, to bring his own crap into it now that we understand that we invent the reality of the present moment based upon our past and that the actual reality is somewhat different than that now the intention is to start to bring our perceived reality closer and closer to what is actual reality here's an example of that on january the 17th it is visa time to go to the other island and get all of the visa stuff together. Okay, I've done that year after year after year. I know exactly what to do. Therefore, there is no reason to think about it in advance, that the visa is just the visa, and I know what to do. Therefore, there is no reason to mull it over my mind or think about it at all. But whenever I'm thinking about it now, I'm not thinking about 
or could I possibly think about what it will be like? All I can think about is what it was like last year. Right. And if I go into the office with the same mentality that I had last year, things may be different. But if I go in there this year with a new, fresh way of looking at it, in fact, I can create the reality. So if I walk into the visa office like I have year after year feeling bad, I don't like the visa office. It's too crowded in there. There's too many people. The uh, the immigration people are, are angry and frustrated people. They don't like their jobs. And not only that, but the woman that, that I have to deal with every year, she doesn't like me. Okay, so when I walk in there with this kind of attitude, then this year I'm going to recreate the disaster that it had been in the past. But if I walk in there with a different attitude, oh, this lady is really frustrated with her job, that it's not me that she dislikes, it's she dislikes retirement visas because not only was it a whole lot of work for me now giving me her that that gives her a whole lot of work to make sure that my work is correct so i should have compassion for this poor lady because she's got to do a whole lot of work that she wouldn't have to do if i weren't here so at least i can come with the attitude of being friendly and joyful to her rather than angry and upset and fearful of her Literally, I'm creating the reality because I know how to create a reality rather than allowing the reality that I've always had continue along the way that it had year after year after year. We have a new choice. That's the whole point of the teaching of the Buddha. If anything else that comes out of the second noble truth is, is that when you wake up, you have a choice about how you feel. And if you don't wake up and stay ignorant, then the thoughts that you have will create how you feel. Because you don't have a choice about it because you're not taking a choice with what kind of thoughts that you have. And so the way that we say it is, is that you have been talking yourself into feeling bad your whole life. Now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good. This is what the Eightfold Noble Method is all about, is to wake up, to pay attention to what the mind is doing, to look at it. That's the investigation. One's right view is not a, view, uh, in a viewpoint or a concept, but one's right noble view is right noble looking, investigating, paying attention, noticing. That's what right view is, not holding ideas or viewpoints. That would be like the noting, I guess, right? Just blank, just noticing things. Uh, except that that's where almost all the people who practice noting go wrong. Because they have the idea to notice just whatever's there. And to keep noting what's there, to keep noting what's there, and to keep noting what's there. They're going to wind up in hell that way. The highway to hell is paved with noting your every footstep into hell. Yeah, when you have a choice. Eight Why do you, mm -hmm, you have a choice. Are you going to continue thinking the kind of thoughts that you did think and be very good at seeing the crap that you've got in your mind? Are you going to bother to take the effort to take the crap out? It's yeah. like your kitchen. Every shift has one particular strange job. 
regardless of what cuisine, regardless of what utensils, regardless of what uh, uh, food that they prepare, all chefs have to deal with the same issue. Mm -hmm. The garbage. Right. Yeah, that's what everybody has to deal with. That's why meditation is all the same. It does not matter what kind of cook you are. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, ingredients you put in. It doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. Every one of us has garbage. And we don't take it out. We are not discerning. We are not cleansing. We don't keep the mind clean. But a good chef one quality is he's going to keep his kitchen clean, which means he's going to have at least one person whose sole job is is to clean that place up and take out the garbage. And yet you don't have anything of that in your own mind until now we're going to practice on Apanasati, and that's exactly what it is. We're going to clean up one dirty thought at a time as we see it. Right. Now a lot of the food, a lot of the thoughts that you have are absolutely delicious food, but sometimes you, the thought is garbage. Right. So can you tell the difference between wholesome thought and unwholesome thought? That's it, one's I'm, investigation. Yes. To investigate, to investigate to see is this thought worth having or not. Most people just take every thought that comes as my thought. If it's my thought, it's okay thought. No, we need to be discerning because the the thoughts are uh, the kind of thoughts that most people think are the reason that they feel bad is because they're giving themselves thoughts that make them feel bad. Now it's time for you to intentionally change the kind of thoughts that you have into wholesome thoughts so that you can feel the way that you want to feel rather than feel the way that your uncontrolled thoughts have led to uncontrolled, unwanted feelings. Okay, I get it. Yeah, we're, we're restructuring the mind and the thoughts because the issue isn't necessarily just the thoughts. It's the way that they're kind of framed and the way that we pile them up and we have these kind of... Um, like, you know, like it, it seems like every time we have a thought or an experience, we kind of tuck it away and add it to our schema. Pile our of crap. And so the, I guess part the trick of the garbage, is to, And it gets in the way. The, the, uh, the, the chef who it does not take the garbage out winds up having his food that he's fixing get garbage mixed in with it. As well as he slips on the floor because of the garbage on the floor, he slips and falls. There's all kinds of da dangers and damages that we can have because we don't clean up the mess that we left while we're fixing our delicious food. So, so the, the whole practice of Anapanasati is we got to keep things clean. Okay, I definitely get the importance of reinforcing because... I've had times where I was able to maybe juggle a couple of these things and experience something. But then, you know, like everything we think, oh, I had the experience once. I had a thought about it. Now I know it. Uh, and then you kind of stuff it away in the back of your mind. But the whole thing we're trying to do is, I guess. Until you want it again, and then you bring it up. And then instead of practicing whatever it is that got you that experience, now you're practicing wanting that experience instead. Guess which works. <laughs> right. So I guess what we have to do is constantly learn to take in information in a different way, in discerning way, 
And I guess that's the initial part of training is we have to learn to think in a new way until it gets its own momentum and we switch into that mode, right? I will, I will agree with that only up to a point. And that is how then do you learn to do this? The answer is, is that you practice with this thought in the mind right now. Okay. That's the only way that we're not, in fact, rewiring or restructuring anything. We're gladdening the mind right now. We're building the skill of gladdening the mind. We're building the skill of remembering to look. We're building the skill of looking. We're building the skill of taking the right effort to change the thought from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought. And then we're building the skill of being congratulatory and happy that we can do this. Yeah, you got to practice the end result. Yeah, so if that's essentially what you're... Okay, that's definitely kind of making sense. Part of me isn't really happy to hear that it's a long-term process. I got to do more work and stuff. It's not a long-term process. It's an instantaneous process. Yeah. The question right. is, is when do the instants stop? The answer is they don't stop. It's still you practice in this particular instant of time. Then you practice again whenever you remember to practice when you do remember in, in this instant of time. We're not talking about an always here. We're talking about when you remember. I thought enlightenment was when it all began to happen. On well, its stop thinking about enlightenment. You're already enlightened, so forget all about it. Okay. Thinking about enlightenment is, in fact, a uh, something that a victim does, wanting something that he doesn't have. Just not even knowing what it is to begin with, just kind of. Yeah, and so they want something they don't even know what it is. So how in the hell can they possibly get it? They could pick it up off the street and not recognize it and throw it out again, which is what people do on a regular basis. They become enlightened and they throw it right back out because they don't know what it is. That's the thing is, yeah, you would think that like enlightenment, because I guess you hear mixed things. Some people have permanent oh, once and you're done. Other people awaken and then sleep and then awaken and sleep and things like that. So I so kind it, of always that is the like, only way it can be done. Okay. That sudden and permanent enlightenment is a myth. Right. It's something that well, people want. It's like winning the lottery, right? Guess what? <laughs> people who win the lottery that there's been a lot of research on that. And generally after three years of winning the lottery, people are worse off than they were before they won the lottery because it was they didn't make any changes. They just won the lottery. So if your enlightenment is like winning the lottery, then it's, you haven't made really any changes. You're going to be back to where you were or worse within three years. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is I just didn't know how to do enlightenment right, you know, like my regular state. The only way to do it is right now. That's the only way, the only time is to be satisfied and lighthearted right now, to lighten up right now. I to guess so you're already light enough right now that you're enlightened right now. Got no yeah. worries right now. That's all there is to it. I guess it's. Just, I don't know, like, you know, if, if it's being lighthearted and carefree, then something to look for is, like, what is stopping me from doing that? What is, like, kind of inhibiting me from 
just being because I have periods right. of it. So remember but, to look. Remember to look for that. And when you catch it, throw it out. Because it must be some kind of idea of a thought of like, oh, I'm going to die soon or mortality something, right? Or I'm a real person. Some. Let me see. Well, if he I called you a bully. And so every that, time the word bully comes up, the bad feeling comes up with it. Or he I called you an idiot. And so every time the word idiot comes up in the mind, yeah. you feel bad. That's just the way that we are. We wind up feeling bad because of the names that we've been called. Yeah, I feel like there is some part of me is kind of a little bit resistant to being super happy and gladdening because at some point I thought, you know, in, in Western, if you're too happy, people think you're manic and bipolar. That actually happened to me at one time. Manic is manic. Bipolar is bipolar. Happy is neither. Happy is content, not manic. Mantic is wanting something, wanting it really badly. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess being happy and content is not wanting anything at all. Everybody could tell the difference. Why can't right. you? It's so subtle. It's so subtle. It's in the back of your mind. It's not as really great. No, the what is there is that thought is there because underlying that thought is fear. Yeah, it's some kind of momentum or gravity to it, I guess, of it's always fear. being away. Right. Yeah. There's an underlying basis of fear, and that, too, can be seen for what it is. And that, too, you can change your mind about. You can gladden that fear. Hey, there's nothing to be afraid of right now. Definitely not right now. I mean, it's just that fear of... Well, then keep doing it. This In this present moment, there's nothing to fear. The only thing to fear is something you've already had in the past is fear. Right. And, in fact, Churchill was right when he said the only thing to fear is fear itself. What does that mean? It means don't be afraid. Sorry, I got a um, <laughs> cramp. Okay, I'm good. <clears throat> yeah, no, fear is a really big one. I have had periods of luck with a kind of a courage practice. And then, I don't know, it's, it doesn't really seem to stick all the time for some reason. For some reason, I think... Well, in the that reason, obviously, is that you just didn't remember... That's why we have to develop sati, is to keep remembering and keep remembering and keep remembering. So we want to develop that as a skill. Remember to wake up. Remember to look. Remember to see the way things really are. Over Remember and over and over again. Yeah. There's this idea that the way we're doing things is the right one, and it actually feels good. Even though I've had these experiences of being released from that temporary suffering, you know, so I guess it's just about being more diligent, you know, and really kind of not letting your guard down to a certain extent, not where you're super vigilant and anxious, but also just being aware of how the mind works and being well, skillful. There will come a time when that guarding is quite valuable. But it is valuable only when you have something to guard. When would that be? Well, let us say that when you have gotten a state of complete satisfaction, that you're in a state of satisfaction, that you apply the mind to the satisfaction, 
And then you want to sustain that satisfaction. That's what the guarding is. The guarding is to, to sustain mental satisfaction, to be in a state of everything's okay, everything is fine, no worries, no problems, comfortable and satisfied. That's Something what we need to guard for, is to guard, to keep the mind in a state of satisfaction. But the only way to get there is by getting the mind into a state of satisfaction. That's why we apply the mind. We apply the mind into, into satisfaction, and then we sustain it or we guard it to keep it in a state of satisfaction. Okay. I Some part of me didn't even register with that because it thought that somehow intention or something was like, or that might be clinging. I just kind of had some wrong ideas about staying in that state of happiness and, you know, bliss and peaceful. Some part of me thought, you know, like that's just me clinging. I definitely shouldn't stick in this thought. I should just go with whatever comes up and do whatever I feel like doing. But really what happened is I got pulled into the karma or the past momentum. Right. Of if you feel whatever, like whatever you feel like doing, you're going to feel like shit. Because you're in yeah. the habit of feeling like shit. No, you need to come out of feeling like shit and feel like that you're on top of the world. That's what the super mundane or the uh, Lokatara in the Pali means. The one of the examples that I have is that everyone, each individual human being is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. That's what you're emperor of is your own pile of dirt, which means your old crap, your past. You're the emperor of your own pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? Are you going to struggle to get out of it? Or are you just simply going to sit on top of your world? Come out of your crap. Not only that, but that kind of perch allows you to see things better. If you're buried under your own pile of crap, all you see is your own pile of crap. And you think you're looking at reality when all you're looking at is your own pile of crap. Mm -hmm. So we have to come out of that pile of crap and get on top of it. Get above it. It's something about it feels like unknown, dangerous. I just because it, it's such a new way of processing everything, even though I've done it and I've kind of felt that it's a better way to do things. But I guess ultimately we don't even need to talk about it. That's just another one of the thoughts of momentum. Yeah, so that's that's right, true. Yeah. Well, we'll actually talk about the resistance later. In fact, I've just recently talked to a student about that internal resistance. So pay attention to that, that you actually are resisting feeling good. You're not supposed to feel good. Right, because feeling good is crazy. And if I'm crazy for real, then I'm really in trouble. That's kind of the thought process for me. And, um, you know, like so there's work with that. Of, give yourself permission to feel good. I've been trying to. It's been slowly breaking up. I mean, you can probably tell I'm pretty carefree and smiling and happy. Um, so I'm definitely on the path to getting there. I guess it's just more time and more real, more effort. I guess I didn't really, I mostly have been like putting in a lot of effort in meditating or in these kind of study sessions. Yeah. Well, not stop so it. Yeah. I got to do it all the time. Stop putting, no, not, no, don't struggle. That's the whole point. Right. Effort is not work. Think of right effort as the very, very, very least amount of work to actually get the job done. You like water. That's a Bruce Lee quote. 
He liked the walking. very least amount of work to get the job done. And when we get better and better at that, what winds up is, is that the effort that we do take winds up being energy, that it just springs into place. And that springing into place, we can call enthusiasm. I've definitely been feeling that, that, you know, there is some kind of mental burden with the way we normally use our minds. And the more you're able to free up that energy, it, um, th I guess the downside is most people can't take it. They don't really understand it because it's not what they know. They think that I'm like high on energy or like going crazy or something. They just don't understand that they're but under a sense a while, of burden. it's better for you to let us say do this in private don't worry about other people you need to get your own mind straightened out and when you do you'll be able to deal with those people don't worry about them right now you get your mind cleaned out well i did cut off all my social media ties the other day so somehow intuitively um i actually got really drunk and did it which i didn't really know why but i some part of me maybe i subconsciously understood i couldn't break that attachment um, without having a little bit of juice or, you know, something to help me. But yeah, no, I definitely have been feeling like that things are starting to gain traction. What I need is time and effort and that I'm not going to be right like impressed if I do it alone. Yeah. Right effort, right sati, right. right effort, right investigation. And that right effort is just to bring the mind back into a state of wholesome thought. Right. Gladden yeah, so the mind. Congratulate yourself. Begin to sit and feel good. You don't need anything. Feel good about not needing anything rather than feeling good about getting what you want. Feel good about not needing anything. That was one thing that really worked for me was a sense of surrender, letting go of everything. Uh, and, and it's not surrender, it's championship. Yeah. That, that surrender, that's a very Christian word. Right. We are not yeah. surrendering to anything. We're crawling right on top of it and beating our chest and screaming with laughter and howling over the victory. This is not giving in. This right. is throwing out. Yeah, not like a negative kind of surrender, but just I guess that was what worked for me at the time. Maybe I was really Christian or my dogma or whatever it was. It's just Something a about language. It's just right. language. So let's change the language to give it even better. Right. Yeah, it, it is a paradox. You know, I think that was part of what I liked about it was you surrender into action. You're constantly being active, even though you're surrendering. It's just, the a bad trend, it's just a bad word to use. Let's use the right word. We're not surrendering. We're taking charge. We're making a choice here. Surrendering is doing something because we have no choice which is what the loser does and what you've been doing your whole life. No, we're making a choice consciously. This is not surrendering. This is taking over. Yes, there's de there definitely must have been some kind of subconscious baggage to me surrendering because the sub the issue that I noticed was a lot of habitual and addictive kind of things would happen because, you know, on the one hand, I was able to shut off my mind and thoughts and ego to a certain extent which would also cause issues with dullness and things. Um, and then I would kind of, so I would have a good effect of it with surrender, but I would also end up not being super conscious. And I would end up doing these kind of old karmic patterns. Um, even though some part of me did realize that the goal was to 
conscious, um, I framed it as conscious evolution, like choosing my own life, consciously choosing uh-huh. how I would see that's still very time oriented and it has the failure built in right now that I have to succeed later. Right? Yeah. I'm oh, we're going to succeed right now. Okay. That's the change in the attitude that we need is, is that we're going to change right now and get the benefits right now. This is it right now. This is the only time that I could be enlightened. Let's do a good job of it right now. I guess start some developing those as a skill is right now. This is the only time that you'll ever have is right now. And yet we keep putting stuff off into the future. Because we were taught to do it that way. Delayed gratification is what the entire, uh, let us say, society is built upon. But delayed gratification is just another shady way of calling it a bait and switch. Right. The bait is you think you're going to get something valuable out of it, and then you don't. Okay, so this is actually a more honest way of practice is to get your benefit right now. Get your reward right now. Take your benefit right now. Be on top of your world right now. Be satisfied and content right now. Be the winner. Be the champion right now. Yeah, and I'm just going to let go of this fear that somehow by doing that, that I'm going to explode into happiness and go crazy and become manic go ahead and explode into happiness and go crazy and see what that's like too and if there's any dukkha you can rub that off go ahead and experiment play with yourself allow yourself to feel as good as you possibly can feel what is it like to feel really really good because the better it feels the more contented you are you're talking about going through a manic kind of a phase which is yeah like not feeling good but maybe right, has which is which is on the way to feeling good, but it's certainly not the I mean, there's more to it than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, there is the cheering. Go cheer for a while. Jump up and down with joy for a while. Do it in the right place. You do it in the wrong place, it's dangerous. If you do that in the wrong place, like the men's room in the at the uh, bus station, <laughs> that's not the right place to do it. Right. Yeah. You do that at home, but you get your joy and you go ahead and, yeah, get that elation. Feel really good. Allow yourself to do that. Yeah. I'll just let go of whatever fear comes up with some kind of fear of being known as a crazy person or like just because I'm happy on the inside doesn't mean you don't know yourself. How do you expect anybody else to know you? Somehow, your reputation mean that much? No, not at all. Not rationally when I think about it, but some kind of momentum has me thinking and some kind of attachment. It's not well, just that's probably to the something thought. that happened to you as a child and it doesn't even matter that you remember that. But what you can do is you can recognize that reluctance when it comes up and you can say, aha, I see that, too. You and can use that instead of a, instead of a, um, uh, a blockage in the way or a stumbling block. You can use it as a stair step. Step yeah. right on top of that thing and just be at the top of your world, own world. When it comes to these thoughts, are, are, are we like unraveling them or unwrapping them? Or how would I potentially throw them do- out? Don't try to unravel them. That's the Mahasi technique. Their practice is 
Ah, Duca. They said Ravel Duca. And Ravel Duca. Duca, Duca. More raveling of Duca. Oh, more unraveling. Oh, I see that Duca's unraveling this Duca. So there's more. And now I got two Dukas to unravel. Duca, Duca, Duca. There's no end to it. That's not the teaching of the Buddha. We're not there to unravel the Duca. We're there to recognize that this is Duca. Out it goes. This is garbage. I'm not going to try to. Uh, uh, be a chef for that garbage and try to turn it into a delectable dish I can feed to the king. No, we're not going to do that. It's garbage. Out it goes. So these practices and the, the noble truths and the noble eightfold path together, they form something like what we could call perfect understanding where you're able to change the way you experience reality. And it's not perfect understanding in that we know everything because that's kind of the sub thought is that yeah that's a, you know, right so don't, no need to use perfect at all perfect. yeah <laughs> in fact we right. could just say a bit of understanding right yeah little and dabble do you really to focus on you don't need en- you don't need it all you just need enough how much do you need enough to be happy how much <laughs> is that not much <laughs> very little much. nothing much to it yeah, I feel good. I mean, this is a great goal to be having, you know, like, hey, you got to be more happy. How, that's the some of the best news that it's anyone can It's not a goal. Have, you know? That's the whole point. Don't make it a goal. If it's a goal, it's still in the future. But we have to have a make some it kind of goal. If it's a goal, it's the goal pole you're leaning against while you're resting. It's a kind of, I guess the thing that I'm thinking about is like, if we have to have maybe not a goal in the future, but we have to have an understanding of what is actually that what would feel like to to do things right and what would it feel like when we're doing things wrong like what in does that regard like? you're talking about sati and that is to to have the intention or to have the plan to remember to wake up to what you're doing right now so that you can change that into the way you want to feel begin to look at what you're doing because you remember to look at what you're doing and when you do look at what you're doing that means you can change what you're doing now you have a choice. But you're the king here. You're not surrendering. You're taking charge. You're right. the emperor. With a plan to be conscious and not conscious of our mind or our thoughts, conscious of something in deeper in terms of present moments experience, which maybe includes our sense of body and ethereal body or whatever and emotions too. Um, but it's a comprehensive kind of understanding of now. It's not just the mind. I feel like right now I'm very mentalized. I'm I don't really feel connected to my consciousness or those other aspects. I mostly am in the mind, which is probably just because I've always been there, you know, but we'll trying come to- into the senses more and more. That's much of the practice of Anapanasati. Start paying attention to the body. Start paying attention to the breath. Start paying attention to the way the body feels, not only in the sense of sensation but also in the sense of posture, but also in the sense of emotion. What is the body experiencing? Pay attention. That's part of the Satipatthana. How do you feel? Not just how do you think. Come out of the mind into the reality, and the reality is the sensory input that's associated with the body, to where the mind is associated with the past. The body and all the sensory awareness is taking in input and processing it from the present moment. But when you're thinking in concepts, you're, you're all the fodder for those thoughts are past. 
They're not present moment thoughts. Right. So I guess what most people would experience isn't a constant stream of present moment awareness. What they probably experience is something like a wave, you know, like every now and again, they'll be present, but then they'll attach to an idea and they'll get caught up in that. And then 20 or 30 seconds later, um, I call that spider manning. It's where like you're not really present all the time. You're present every 10 or 20 or 30 seconds. And it creates a kind of a weird experience of reality. And it's it has been said that uh, uh, famous in the 1950s that uh, people only use 10% of their mind. A much better way of understanding that is that everybody is quite capable of using their entire mind and do quite often at about 10% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's the issue, you know, is how to try and, and are we get, going to get, wake up and use the higher mind more often than just 10%. What would you call the higher mind? What would that really experience? The adult, as opposed to the, the child inside who is a feeling being or the parent inside that is the authority, the rule setter, the critical mind. Uh, Conscious right. choice, um, like, does that have anything to do with reason? I think reason would be in the present moment too, right? That's got to play into it somehow. Well, uh, a better way of thinking about it is just observation. That we want to spend more time observing rather than reconciling. The, uh, the prior observations. Reasoning is often trying to put together that data that's already old. Right. Yeah. And it causes let's, issues. Let's take it... some new data. Let's keep taking new data. Let's process with new data. Let's keep investigating with new data. This present moment's data, not future's data, not past data, this data that's happening in the present moment. Yeah, which means to be at sensory input, to be in your eye door and your ear door and your touch door and your breathing door and your body door all over, touch, taste, uh, olfactory, everything. But the mind is often in the past or in the future. Very rarely are we actually talking about what's going on in the present moment. That must be that sense of what Buddha is talking about, attachment and clinging. Like when someone thinks something, and then they cling to it for 10 seconds. They're just thinking about the thing that happened 10 seconds ago. And when you constantly do that, you constantly are living in the past. Nine, you know, if you do it every 10 seconds, that's 90% of the time you're living in mm -hmm. that state of suffering and pain. And so I guess that's the weird thing too, is we all experience these kind of. Quite often we go longer than that. Quite often people will dwell for days on something. Yeah. People can get angry and stay angry for hours and hours and hours. Some people for days and days. If you whip a dog, within 10 minutes, he's back. He's forgotten all about it. If you whip a child, they'll be unhappy all day. Yeah. Do you have anger issues or anything? I mean, not like anger issues, but like, what about you for anger and things like that? Like, how does that work out in your situation? Probably you deem it unskillful, but does it ever happen? Do you ever kind of decide, like, maybe I should be angry? Ever? I'm an old man. What do you mean ever? Yeah. So I guess the thing would be like, um, you know, don't hold to some idea of a saint who never gets angry. 
but just be skillful when you have that sensation of anger, you know, like sometimes yeah, don't I'll, ask about who else can do what ask. Can you follow the example that you're seeing in front of you right now? Yeah. I definitely could probably maybe. Well, that's the thing is I try to not think about it in terms of like what I should or shouldn't do. I try to kind of like be in the present moment and let things flow. Um, usually well, if when you use the word try that comes from some sort of standard or some sort of rule. So there's more subtleties to it than you recognize that you have to listen to the kind of words that you use. Yeah, like learning to be in a certain state is different than an effort of trying, which is kind of there's subtle okay. difference. Well, that's what I am inviting you into right now is let's just get into that state rather than talking about it. <sighs> Something is just like I just can't. Well, maybe it's maybe I'm already in it, you know, and maybe my idea. No, of, no, you're not. You know, you're not. I feel like there is some higher level of happiness for me to go into, but even recognizing those, maybe it's because there's a just a shit ton of them. And even though I've identified a couple, three or four while we're talking, there must be. No, let's do it this way instead. See, you're still talking and talking and talking. Instead, okay. just take a deep breath and relax. Alrighty. And then start talking to yourself about how nice it feels right now. You don't have to figure anything out. Everything is okay right now. No problems, no worries, and everything is okay. That's a different kind and of take thought. Another, and well, yes, it is, and it's a wholesome thought, and you won't listen to me, so let's do it this way. To have okay. a wholesome thought. Have a wholesome thought. This is okay. Everything is all right. There's no place to go. There's nothing to do. You've already got everything you need. You're okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no alligators. There's no crocodiles. There's no ghosts. There's no goblins. There's no problems. Everything is safe. Everything is secure. Just sit and allow yourself to be where we are. Just think about everything is okay. Everything is okay. No problems, no worries. One wholesome thought after another. Everything is okay. No problems. Wow, what a nice day it is. Everything's going my way. Don't get worried. Don't get upset. Everything is all right. Just have, having wholesome thoughts, one wholesome thought after another about how nice things are, how the wind is blowing such a beautiful little song, and everything is okay. The body feels nice, feels comfortable, and everything is fine. And we keep saying those things over and over and over and over again. Allow yourself to feel how good that you're talking to yourself about rather than trying to figure it out. It don't need figured out. We could be happy without figuring anything out. Just be happy now. Relax, relax. Everything is okay. No problems, no worries. Everything is all right. I just got chronic body pain, so it's kind of a little bit of an issue for me, but as you know, I do, these there you go. But that's the whole point is, is that you won't let yourself into this frame of reference. You've got excuses for not doing it. 
In this case, it's body pain. What's going to happen next time? That was the main issue is body pain. Okay, uh, well, never mind the body pain. Let's go back in it. Never mind the body pain. The body pain is not an issue. It's not a problem. Everything is okay. I can handle the body pain. It's not even pain. It's just a sensation. It's not a problem. And I can just handle that just easily enough and not pay much attention to that because we're paying attention to how nice things are, how easy things are, how pleasant this breath is. Oh, it feels so good just to sit and breathe with no place to go, no worries, no problems. Everything is all right. I can handle anything. This is the kind of language that you can begin to use for yourself over and over again. You definitely use some more practice. There's so much momentum of not of being like Macho Man John Wayne, of doing everything the hard way, of you know, just kind of not really allowing those certain things. So I could sense things are kind of breaking up a little bit. And uh, you know, there's some momentum there that needs, I mean, I'm really happy with my progress. I'm really thankful to be me. So there is a lot of things that are starting to click right. Even the the chronic pain. Um, as I have been doing more of these practices, I've when you're more conscious, you could be you could find the position that doesn't cause the chronic body pain. Um, and I think that just probably more practice, yeah. Um, right effort seems to be a big issue for me. I have this idea of like any effort that I think of, anything that I think of or do is going to come from some kind of ego and past and future. And so I really have issues with finding that sense of right effort and really you just make so many rules recognize that you got to stop all those stupid rules yeah. you're just making a bunch of rules that you then have to break in order to be happy why don't you just stop making all of those rules or better still recognize that that's just another rule that i'm making another should another way to do it and wow i could just relax i don't have to pass those tests <laughs> what i'm doing is okay right now just relax and everything is okay. Alrighty. Well, I deeply appreciate the help. You know, it's good to have someone to talk to who's actually gone through these things. And, you know, I don't think we really talked about a whole lot of the Noble Eightfold Path. Maybe if we have a little bit more time, I don't know what your time is like right now. But, um, well, we've been going at it for more than an hour and I've got another student waiting. So why don't we finish off now? And we can talk again. Go practice what we've been talking about. Absolutely. Go practice being okay with yourself. Go practice recognizing that you keep wanting stuff, and that's what's keeping you dissatisfied. That you can, in fact, practice being satisfied. Okay. I'll definitely have to unpack some of that and just practice. That's the key word. Just practice, practice, no thoughts, practice. Practice being satisfied. Practice remembering to be satisfied. Practice remembering to have wholesome thoughts of being satisfied. So the good kind of thoughts is the ones that center around now being okay and now being satisfied and content. Okay. All right, got lots of uh, things to go do, so I really appreciate the time. Thank you for everything. We'll okay. talk to you next week or something. All right, well, we'll see you later. Yeah, on Friday, I guess. 
Have a good one. Okay. Excellent. Yes, we'll see you. Have a good one.